Brunswick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a brand new show hosted by me, Asha Salita, and this is my second episode. Bushwick Junction is a show about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we've agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuition instead of that. Uh, And we'll talk about the degree to which our decisions matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our faith, or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? We're going to do all that in the series of interviews. Uh, Sorry, in in the format of interviews. On each show, I'm going to have one guest tell me all the big decisions they've ever made in their life in chronological order. We'll start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. So with that, I'll introduce my very special second guest who's here with me today in Radio Free Brooklyn's brand new gorgeous studio, uh, which has basically sprouted up over the last week thanks to the blood, sweat, and tears of this person. Uh, Tom, why don't you give me an introduction, and I want a kind of specific one from you. Okay. I want first a a, a brief introduction. Yeah, you're up. First, a brief introduction, your name, your, you know, what you're up to, your your elevator pitch, but then I want a non-brief introduction. I want you to tell me what your life is like, where you're at right now. Sure. And then we'll go into my first question. I'm just having trouble hearing myself. I'm going to pull myself up a little bit. Yeah. Better? So, yeah, yeah. So you want the elevator pitch, first of all. Right. Um, That's tough. But uh, I am a, I'm an educator. I am a radio guy. I'm a writer. And I'm a producer. And those are usually the four things that I use to kind of describe the totality of what I do. Although there is a lot of inter- overlap within that. Yeah. Radio guy seems like an understatement. You're kind of like <laughs> a, a radio lord, I'd say. Well, you know what? I mean, the reason I, w- I would never call that, uh, say that about myself is that like most things in my life, i learned this just by the seat of my pants. So it's not like I'm like some trained, you know, you know, audio engineering guru, I just sort of, I, I picked up what I needed to know to do what I wanted to do. And, and we'll be talking more about that, I'm sure, throughout the course of this discussion, because that kind of applies to a lot of we stuff. We will, we will. Yeah. And then, I guess that was a good brief slash non-brief introduction. Was it that wasn't, non-brief? It, oh. was, it was good. You're, it was like your elevator pitch, but it also was comprehensive enough that I feel ready to move on to the next question. Okay, great. Uh, well, wait, I guess I have one more question. Right. Which of those four are you spending the most of your time on? Right now, I know it's radio because yeah. you're in this studio making it be a thing. Yes. Uh, how new is that? How how recently how how recently in your life did this become your primary thing? Well, I mean, when I was in grad school from 2010 to 2013, uh I really, you know, I went to the media studies program at the new school with this idea that I might want to be, you know, get interested in, or I was interested, but do more with documentary film. And when I got there, it was sort of like everybody was doing, literally everybody does documentary film over there. And I was kind of like, all right, well, 
I think you guys got this covered. Uh, <laughs> I I'm, totally relate to that feeling. You know? And so I said, you know, I've always been interested in music and sound. And so I said, I'm going to just, I'm going to explore that. I'm going to explore that part. And I really, really kind of fell in love with it. So that's when I started doing, I started, you know, producing radio narratives and, and so on and so forth. And it's just, it was very addictive. And, uh, and Radio Free Brooklyn kind of eventually grew out of that. Are you a musician at all? No, that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm not, uh, but I kind of act like I am. Yeah. Just a music guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, and I actually do a lot of like remixing of stuff and, and so on. And I'll like, you know, I create beats out of things and, and, and you know, whatever. So I guess that is sort of musical and it's I totally a music thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, and so like I, a few years back when I started getting into this, I started teaching myself some music theory. So I would sort of understand how music works but I do not consider myself a musician. I do play a little bit of harmonica, but... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so question number one, as we map out the road of your life as a series of junctions, is tell me about where and when and to whom you were born, and what could the circumstances... What, what was a normal life outcome for someone who was born like you? Wow. Well, so I was born in 1965 in Chicago, in the South Side of Chicago. You didn't have to tell me the year, but I, I appreciate I'm it. not. I don't. I do not mask my age. Cool. Uh, I'm 52 years old, and I was born in the South Side of Chicago in 1965. My dad was a law professor, and my mom was uh, was a nurse. She was an RN. And so it was sort of, you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't know what the normal outcome for somebody born at those circumstances is because those circumstances changed really quickly for me. Hmm. Uh, and so I don't know. I mean, maybe I would have, you know, had my dad stayed in my life more than he did. Maybe I would have like, you know, followed more in his footsteps or, or whatever. I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, I think that. Um, the, the circumstances of my birth had far less to do with who I became than, you know, everything obviously that came after that, which I think is probably just a, a truism for everybody. Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the major outcomes of this show. That's just, just a prediction I have right now. Yeah. Um, okay. So what was the first big decision you remember making as an individual that wasn't made for you? Uh, well, I remember buying the, my first album, oh, <laughs> which was, what was it? it was Donny Osmond alone together. Wow. It's like really the most unimpressive first album <laughs> you could possibly buy, but that didn't but th there it is. no, it, did, it didn't. <laughs> but, um, we had records in the house that I was like, that I loved. I was really into the monkeys when I was a little small child. Was it a musical family? Uh, it was, we weren't a musical family though. My mom did sing and my sister played, uh, one of my sisters played guitar a little bit. The other, my other sister taught herself how to play the dulcimer. And so she was like, Whoa. yeah, That's a pretty musical family. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And, uh, but we always had a lot of music in the house. And so like my sisters were very into Dylan, um, John Denver, uh, uh, Dan Fogelberg, like that, like really kind of folksy stuff, you know? Yeah. And I was, I was sort of the first kind of like, you know, rock and roll kid after that. But, but like, yeah. You but, were the fan. Are you but, the but, youngest? Of I'm three? the, I'm the youngest of two older sisters. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you remember buying your first record. Um, you remember rebelling a little bit, not just subtly against the, genre norm in your family 
Yeah. Do you remember the first thing, the first thing you decided to do in the world that was maybe not, maybe not prescribed to you? Yeah. I mean, so when I was 16 years old, I dropped out of high school and that was the, that was a big decision that guided the rest of my life that, that still guides my life. Yeah. Wow. Let's really dig into that one. That is an, okay. it's an unusual decision. Yeah. Uh, what went into it? Um, well, a few things. I mean, first of all, I had gotten, um, you know, I, I dropped out in 1981, but I had gotten into punk rock around 1979 when I was 14. Okay. Was there a scene in Chicago that you No, felt- so I was in Boston at this point. So we oh, skipped over so a whole bunch moved. of years where like my my mom and dad separated, like we moved to Portland, Maine, then my mom and dad separated, and then my mom took us to our live with our grandparents in upstate New York, and then eventually we moved to Boston when I was five. Oh wow. So moving's a big part of this story. Mo- moving is a right, exactly. So there's That's a lot funny. of moving Rob around. Last week had a lot of moving in his he, Yeah, story he does too. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um so okay, you are at this point in Boston. Mm-hmm. Is there a punk scene in Boston that you're participating totally. in? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very, very into the punk rock scene. And again, I'm like, you know, I'm one of these kids who like all of my friends were in bands, but I I wasn't, you know, I was the one who would like go with, you know, go to their rehearsals and, you know, and then when they would play at overage clubs, I would be, you know, let me carry an amp so I can come in as a roadie, you know, Uh, selling their T-shirts in the back. Yeah, that right. That kind of stuff. Well, this is before bands really had we're able to make t-shirts. I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So. You were into the punk rock scene and high school was, was bad, was not fun. <laughs> like t- how I, I, I hated high school. I yeah. was, I was in a public high school. I, I really when So my mom remarried when I was seven and we moved from Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a very sort of like liberal enclave, uh, you know, in, in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we moved, she married, uh, an engineer for GE who lived in Arlington, which at that time, was very, very conservative, um, Roman and Irish Catholic. Uh, it, it was, it was a working class, uh, suburb. How long were you in Brookline? Was it from like five uh, below uh, the age of uh, seven? five to seven? I mean, it seems longer when you look back because five, the two years when you're that age seems like, formative. seems like a long time. Yeah. But I was just thinking about that today and it was only a couple of years. And then when my mom remarried, we moved to Arlington. And again, it was like very Catholic and very conservative. And my mom had been remarried. And that did not sit well with uh, the people in the community. And there were a lot of parents. Oh, wow. A lot of parents who told their kids they couldn't play with us. Um, and I remember on the, for the first day of school, this is a very, very distinct memory. The first day of school, I got uh, chased home from school with kids throwing rocks at me, calling me a bastard. Because your mom was divorced because, and remarried? Yeah. Wow. And I, I just didn't understand. Remember, I was crying because like, I didn't know why everyone was throwing rocks at me. Aww. And my mom had to explain to me what a bastard was and why they were calling me that. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I mean, it was interesting because we lived next door to one of the only black families in the community. And so me and Nike, who was the kid my age, black kid my age who lived next door, I mean, he was also ostracized and mm-hmm. was called all kinds of racial names all the time. And so he and I became friends. And he was sort of like, stayed kind of like my best friends through those, uh, <clears throat> for those early years, probably from age seven till about, yeah, probably till about junior high. Yeah. Uh, so you you were carrying around some, hurt with you some 
oh, childhood yeah. trauma and definitely well and also i mean you know when your dad leaves too when you're two and a half i mean that's yeah you know that that's I don't, I don't remember it but i'm sure that that you know i carried a lot of that anger with me too yeah you know and luckily enough for you the the punk rock scene was Forming and brewing and attracting people who kind of all needed to channel this kind of hurt. Exactly. Rob had such a similar story about his attraction to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the punk scene really attracted a certain kind of people. I mean, they were these sort of, you know, these these misfits that never really had a place to go now had a place to go where suddenly you could be weird and be yourself. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, and there was something really cathartic about like, you know, punk rock and slam dancing and getting yeah. a lot of that out. You yeah. Know? Just showing emotion, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're participating in this, you're going to shows, you're hanging at your friends rehearsals. And meanwhile, high school is still this kind of place where you're ostracized and not, not thriving. Yeah. I got beat up a lot. I, really? I did, yeah, I did. I got a beat up. I mean, cause I was always tall, but I was like really skinny. Wow. That's hard. I, yeah. I was a really, really skinny kid. And, um, you know, I remember I got I got the sh- I was wearing a shirt that had a, a pink had some pink on it at one time on on then I was on the bus. God forbid. And I I know and I got my ass like kicked to the point where I probably like should have gone to the hospital because they were like they were lifting themselves up on the bars on the bus and like kicking me in the head with <sighs> both feet against the wall like it was just it was really hardcore and this happened and. and at one there was one time I got kicked my ass kicked out on the front steps of the high school where I went and my English teacher stood there and watched no and she said and I had like this so this was one of the beginning of my sort of punk rock days and I was a freshman in high school and I had like a crucifix safety pins to my leather jacket mm. and when I got up off the ground the teacher stood there and she just shook her head at me and she said well you might want to rethink that crucifix what yeah uh so oh my god you know this wasn't a place that i really was very happy coming to every no day. so socially it's terrible were you interested academically were you kind of wishing that it was i was interested place? academically but i was bored out of my fucking skull yeah i really like i felt like my classes were being i had a history teacher that was taught by the a history class that was taught by the hockey coach okay you know and and i felt like i knew more than he did because yeah. i actually read books yeah were you a big reader you know? yeah yeah totally so you were bored you were having zero fun and kind of being traumatized and bullied and 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 at the same time though i mean i was part of this punk rock scene which was very positive in a lot of yeah. ways you know what i mean and so I had a lot of friends who went to this private high school that was really, it was like progressive education, sort of oh. like based in sort of like John Dewey philosophy. And they, you know, they all like, they didn't have like their, they sat on couches, they didn't sit on desks and they told, called their teachers by their first names. Yeah, and, that's fascinating. And these people were big, a big presence in the scene. Yeah, they were. And um, so I used to go out there sometimes. It was out in, you know, further west suburb. You had to sort of like take a commuter train out there. But I used to go out and hang out. Like I would skip school to go to school. Go like to I would to go to this school. other school. Right. Well. And so I decided one day that I was just like, fuck this. I was like, I want to go to this school. And I told my mom I want to go to the school and she was like, do you understand that we like, like I work two jobs and we don't have any money and this is a private school and you have to pay. Yeah. And I was like, I'll pay for it. And she goes, how, how are you planning on doing that? And I was like, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to drop out and get a gym. She was like ripping her hair out. But she was like, 
finally she went, okay, you know, I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to let him drop out and fail and, you know, he'll learn a valuable life lesson and hopefully he will go back and at least get his GED or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and this is 1981. So uh, there was a recession happening. Um, Reagan was the boss. He had just gotten, just come into office and the economy was not good. Uh, there were like, I remember, I remember applying for jobs at like a, at movie theaters where there were like PhDs all applying for like the mm. same job. So yeah. it was like, who wants to hire a fucking, you know, 16 year old college drop? I mean, high school dropout. So I did like a lot of really shitty jobs. I like, you know, uh, I did some telemarketing. I cleaned offices. I did, you know, but I wasn't able to save any money. Um, but the whole time I was doing this, my mom just, you know, I went, I continued through the process of applying to this school mm-hmm. and my mom just kept going like, well, what are you going to do if you get in? What are you going to do if they accept you? And I just, my answer to her every time was I'm going to go. And she said, I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen. And I was like, I don't either, but it's going to happen. Uh, so I went through the whole process and I actually like, I was very proactive. I was like, it was an arts oriented school and my, I was doing, I had done a lot of theater. So I asked if I could audition, even though they had never really auditioned somebody, they were like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. Sure. You know, and I did an audition and the, like the drama teacher really liked me. And so they, despite the fact they said I was a high risk student, they, high risk of diff, like payment default. No, no high risk because I had dropped out of high school already. Okay. Right. Uh, they, they decided to, they accepted me. And I had like about maybe two week window when I had to like make a deposit and, you know, like, and I was just sort of, I was like somehow confident that this was going to happen. So one day I came home and I'm going through the mail and there's a envelope for me from a lawyer's office in Florida. Hmm. And I was like, Hmm, what is this? You know, I was like, maybe somebody's suing me. I don't know, but I opened it up. And in that envelope, there was a check for $20,000. What? Yeah. And it was my dad's parents who had died about six years earlier. And their will had been contested. My dad was estranged. Uh huh. Their will was contested by my dad's half brother. Wow. And it was basically a foregone conclusion that we were never going to see any of that. But we did, and it came exactly at the moment that I needed it. That is the craziest story. I'm so glad that's on the radio now. (laughs) Wow. So you got to do it. I got to do it. Oh, my my God. My mom literally just broke down and wept. Oh, my God. I'm about to break down and weep. That's such (laughs) an incredible story. Well, and you know, I mean, that that, and the reason I say that that was so formative for me is that that taught me the power of acting as if. Yeah. You know, so I just I I said I'm I'm acting as if this is going to happen and I'm not letting anything stop me from acting that way. And I'm not I don't think there's anything supernatural about it. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that if you if you can you know, alter your thinking and your behavior as if something is going to happen, it makes it a lot more likely. There's something that that, yeah. that draws that to you. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is kind of like self-help 101 in some ways, and you just have this amazing story to back it up, but I, I don't think we're going to get any better than the power <laughs> of not limiting your options on this show. That's yeah. really incredible. Wow. And how, what a, what a 
present for you to go through life having that demonstrated to you at your first big junction at my first junction yeah wow. exactly because that you know honestly that informed every junction that i got to yeah you know and it just so redeems the mistreatment you suffered in high school it's just such a story someone should make a movie right about you. i mean and i was failing all my classes in public school and i graduated with honors uh, you know from oh, this place of so. course you did that's perfect so then you got into nyu I went to NYU. Yep. I went to the theater program at NYU. Oh, great. Um, and it was, you know, I went because I wanted to be in New York City so badly. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like, I had a total crush on this girl who, who went to the that same program I went to the year before. Oh, from your high school? Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is crazy reason to do something. But that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I deeply relate. Yeah. Um, so you got there. What was the vibe? How was it? Did you did you regret your decision? Uh, no, I I don't. I there's very few decisions I regret. Yeah, that's that's good. I think that's a very grown up thing to say, and I think that yeah, probably everyone will say that on this. Because show, honestly, but. you don't. You know, uh, there's no right or wrong decisions. There are only decisions that you make, and you don't know what would have happened otherwise. Totally. So, you know. Uh, so who's to say what's good and what's bad? You just kind of follow the road as it, you know, as it, as it leads you. But I'm with you. Let yeah. me rephrase. Did you like it? I did. I loved NYU and I loved being in New York city. Um, and, uh, I love, I love the program. I, I, again, I mean, I, you know, there, the, 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 the sort of the next phase of this kind of begins in my sophomore year at NYU where Robert Wilson, who is a very famous theater director, is a lot more famous now than he is here. But, I mean, he did stuff like Einstein on the Breach with Philip Glass on Broadway, you know. And um, he came to do a guest directing thing at NYU. And you had to be a junior to audition for it. Okay. And I auditioned for it anyway. Of course you did. <laughs> the power of unlimited thinking. Yeah. So I just went, I just went like, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to do this. And, uh, my, sorry, my, my phone is. That's okay. Freaking out. I'm a bad producer. I didn't tell you to turn no, it off. When no, 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 Hey, look, I'm, it's, <laughs> if all, anyone should know that it's me. The radio Lord. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so, right. So I got into this, you know, I ended up, there's a whole story. I don't want to go into the whole story about that, but there's a whole story about how, I actually got beat up in New Jersey the night before the final audition of this. Whoa. And I was told to not go to the audition by the executive producer. Because of how bad your face it, looked? Yes, because I was my face was m fucked up. Excuse wow. me. But it was really, I mean, it was like bruised. It was bloody. It was, um, it was not. Not audition it was friendly. Not, it was not audition friendly. But I was like, fuck it. I'm going you to went the, anyway. I went to the audition yep. and I sort of just like went in kind of not giving a shit because, you know, I'd been told that there's not a chance in hell that I was going to get, you know, make the final cut. And the show was called a, sh a play called Hamlet Machine and written by Heiner Mueller, East German playwright. And I walked into the audition and I had like my ripped jeans with the rips in the knees, my face all bloody, my leather jacket. And I apparently, I mean, this is what I hear later is that I walked in and Robert Wilson went, that's Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you made an yeah. impression. You stood out. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you had to be a junior. What? 
is this about you leaving NYU or is this just it, 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 uh, it does eventually lead to me and to me leaving NYU because I we did we did the the show that spring um, then it continued off Broadway over the summer and uh, ends up winning winning an OB and it was you know it was a big hit cool and then it got picked up for a European tour mm. uh, the next year which I ended up sort of temporarily leaving school for uh, and then it, Robert Wilson essentially took the whole cast and put us in an opera in Italy. And so I was now over in Europe. Somebody else was paying. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to go back to school because this is what I went, was going to school for. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm working already. What's really the point of going back and getting my degree and having to, you know, I can just stay here between the, the tour and the opera mm-hmm. and tool around and basically somebody else is paying for it. And what they did is they gave us, since we weren't using a full round trip ticket to go back and then come back again, they gave us the equivalent in cash of that ticket so wow. that we had, so I had enough money yeah. to kind of just. This is an interesting one. I've been thinking about the dis- the difference between decisions like some decisions are just more final than others. Yeah. And now you're telling two stories of dropouts. Yeah. And if when you drop out of college, you can always go back to, you can always finish up your NYU. And, and I did. I mean, I got, I forgot my bachelor's 20 years later. Oh, that's amazing. We need to talk about yeah. that. But <laughs> you, you mentioned when you dropped out of high school, you were then considered a high risk student. Like you can't, yeah. you can get your GED. You can go back to high school and you did mm-hmm. go back to high school, but you can't, undrop out of high school it feels like that feels like a big right permanent like thing to have in your life yeah yeah definitely i mean you know and especially if you don't if you just get a ged if you don't like actually go back and then graduate from somewhere which is what i did right then that's always the thing that you did instead of high school interesting yeah uh okay so you're over in europe you're having the time of your life you're Mm -hmm. living your dream uh what's next how how does that turn out well, I mean, it, it. so here's the thing. I mean, I was now like, what, 21 years old, something like that. Um, and I thought I was the hottest shit on the planet. Got it. You know, like I was really like, it, 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 it was not good for my ego to do that. Um, and I ended up getting in, uh, getting in some trouble over in Europe and, you know, and I just like I just sort of like didn't care because I thought that basically the rest this is how the rest of my life is going to be. I'm just going to be sort of like jetted around from show to show, you know, everything paid for every hotel paid for blah, 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 blah. And it didn't occur to me that this could end, hmm. you know, and it did end for me. I could have actually done many more shows with Robert Wilson if I had not it, it eventually pissed him off, too. By that really, feels like a junction. You got in trouble and you... I did. You pissed yeah. him off. I, I what did. did you... I, I did. I pissed him off. Well, my this girl I had been seeing in Germany... Um, For those can... listening, Tom just did a air quotes around seeing. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> get too into that. But. Well, I mean, I was, like a, I was like a kid who was traveling. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And we had this like affair and I lived at her place for like six months and, you know. Uh, but she came down for the opera... And Robert Wilson also was very like, I mean, he was always very late for things and he sort of like he drank a lot. And so he would like he would get up and be like sometimes like, you know, hours and hours late for rehearsal. 
Uh, and this one particular day, which was the day that this girl came down, we were not supposed to have a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And so we had planned this whole thing. We we're going to go to the Milan Zoo, blah, 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 blah. And he called a rehearsal, uh, in, in the, uh, in the morning. And I went, okay, I'm going to go to the rehearsal. And he didn't show up. He didn't show up. He didn't show up. And I finally I was like, fuck it. I'm leaving. Cause she, Heidi's here. And, you know, and I, and I left. And that did not sit well with him at all. And it's actually this like crazy story where, and this was opening night. And uh, so, and he, that like later that night, he was telling everybody like, I'm, you know, I'm finished. I'm never going to work again, blah, 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 blah. And before, I can't remember if it was before or after the show, but at some point I'm at La Scala, the opera house, which is where we were. And I'm coming, uh, down the stairs and I hear this like clacking of, of wood behind me. And I turn around and it's, and Robert Wilson is standing there with Bianca Jagger and she's like wearing these, like she's wearing these like big wooden bracelets. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking tell him off in front of Bianca. Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. And I was just like, I understand Bob that you're telling everybody that I'm never going to work again. But I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't remember everything I said, but I remember saying you reap what you sow. And just sort of, and and that was that. And eventually I did end up talking to him again like a few years later, you know what I mean? It was like all kind of water under the bridge at that point. But, you know, several other of the people from that cast were hired to do other things back in the States after that, and I never was. That's a little bit of a junction. You, yeah. You and him and Bianca Jagger, that's, that's uh, yeah, that seems like a, an unintentional fork in the road. Yeah. You're going to the zoo. Yeah. Yeah, we never know. Sometimes when we go to the zoo, what will happen with the rest of our lives? Right, exactly. You know, and it and it just sort of you know I wasn't thinking. I, I was thinking very selfishly. I was was not thinking about my other coworkers, the rest of the cast. I wasn't thinking about the good of the show. I was just thinking about me, 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 and that was very characteristic of who I was at that point. Um, and it was a big kind of kick in the teeth. You know, it was a big, it was a wake wake up call for sure. So this lifestyle winds down and you find yourself back in the States. Yeah. What hat where? I went back to Boston for a little while. Um, and I tried to get into like the ART, uh, American Repertory Theater, theater school. Um, and I tried cause they were, they, they hired Wilson for a lot of stuff. So I tried to ride on that coattails, but you know, and I don't know if he put that kibosh on that, which he may have, Yeah. but I didn't get in and I was kind of crushed. Um, and so I, that's, I, that's when I started producing a lot of like just independent, small theater stuff. Cool. Yeah. When we encounter failure or rejection, we're suddenly inspired to create stuff. To do other stuff. Yeah. No. So you're in, you're in Massachusetts and you're producing indie stuff. Mm hmm. You get to L.A. at some point. When I do. do I stayed in Boston for a couple of years. I stayed there from like 88 to 91, maybe something like that. Uh, and I went out to L.A. at the invitation of a theater company that wanted me to you know, show out there. And I had never even been to L.A., but I was like, I'm going to do that. I had just had my girlfriend had just broken up with me. I was like, I, all right, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go do this. And so I went to L.A. and I joined this theater company. Um, and I just wasn't from day one. I just wasn't a big fan of Los Angeles. Mm. Um, when our roads lead us to Los Angeles, I feel like 
everyone has so many feelings. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Some people love it. Um, I think more people say they love it than actually love it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, it's my whole misery love co- loves company theory. It's like when people go like, oh, you should totally come out to live in L.A. It's because they want you out there to keep them company because they're miserable. I have definitely thought about that. <laughs> I've, I've heard that said to me and yeah. I've assessed it as true. But also, I, I don't know. I, I feel good when I'm there. I, I'm sure uh-huh. you didn't. You didn't. So the first six months were great. The first six months, it totally is very seductive because it's Warm, 70 degrees and sunny no every day. Yeah. And, and then, and, but then it's like, but then it's those same things that are just like after a while, you're like, oh, 70 degrees and sunny every goddamn day. You yeah. Know? I have some theories about what happens to the soul when you're taken away from the climate you were raised in. Ah, like interesting. I, I'm from Miami and yeah. I find seasons emotionally unbearable. Like they're so hard, yeah. but yeah. I can imagine someone who's used to that marking of the yeah. passage of time feeling it's, like their that, life's and dragging And that's on. it. You do, you really hit the nail on the head. It's, it's that's, it was the seasons that actually I just could not live without. Yeah. You know? And, and it was, I remember the day that I decided I wanted to leave LA was a day that I had to grab a newspaper, not to see like what day it was, but to see like what month it was. Yeah, it's your Groundhog Day-ing. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Totally. And, and I and a good friend of mine uh, was murdered. Also, that was the other. That was the other sort of thing that kind of pushed me over the edge. I'm it was, so sorry. It was a very violent time yeah. in, in Los Angeles in the early nineties. Yeah. And I was there during the riots, and uh, I had a good friend of mine was shot in the head by his girlfriend's brother. Oh my God, that's heartbreaking. Which was very, it was a very difficult. So I'm sure. And that's when I decided to leave. So you don't know what month it is. You've just undergone a tragedy. Yeah. And you decide, kind of in one day, you said to move away from LA. I mean, in my head, that's the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it was probably more of a one day than a one day thing. But what happened was, I uh, uh, Ringling Brothers came to town. They were doing auditions for Clown College, and again, like I really went to the audition for Clown College because I needed something to do that seemed like it would be interesting and fun. I didn't think I would get it. It's more. It's it's easier to get into Yale. Than it is to get into clown was it than it was this doesn't exist anymore but wow. than it was to get into clown college very 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 competitive thousands and thousands and thousands of people apply every year and audition and they take sixty is this so, something you'd had an interest in before or was it kind of a whim yeah well I mean uh, my I went to the experimental theater wing at NYU so my training was all in very physical theater hmm. uh, so. You know, and I, you know, I grew up on the circus, so I was just like, "Oh, did you?" Yeah. Um, so I went to the, I went to the audition, and I just had a great time. I never like expected to get in, but uh, there, there was another audition when they came through town again. The second show came through, like so that was like in the fall, and then in the spring they sent another audition through, and they were like, and I was like, I'm gonna go again because it was just so much fun, and I went again, and they were like, oh hey, we remember you. And uh, uh, then you have to write this whole like it's like a 30 page application. You have to write a 38 page application yes. to be a clown. And, and it's actually the application that gets you in more than your audition. Fascinating. Um, and I had just gotten I had just stopped drinking. I was getting sober and I was going, you know, all the shit had just happened to me. My friend had just gotten murdered. Blah, blah, blah. So I had a lot to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a good writer. So 
it was the application that got me in and not and again like I didn't think at all like that this was even a possibility but I was the first person they accepted that year wow. um, and the director of the school called me personally to tell me that that's amazing so yeah and the thing it's cool that was cool about clown college is that if you get accepted it's free it's all expenses paid whoa that's awesome yeah yeah so how long how long do you have how long is clown college it's 10 weeks okay but it's 10 weeks of and where it, well, it, so it used to be in Venice, Florida, and for that year, or maybe the next two years, they moved it up to Baraboo, Wisconsin, because there was a whole thing with their lease in in Florida. Blah blah blah. blah. Baraboo, Wisconsin, is the home of of the actual Ringling Brothers, and so there's like a whole Circus World Museum up there, and that's where that's where Clown College was. So it was ten hour, ten ten weeks, fourteen hours a day, six days a week. Um, wow. Very 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 intense physical stuff. And I was 28 and I was the second oldest person there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They really liked like the 18 to like 22 year olds because they're, they're physically, they're, they don't tire, you know, yeah. they're flexible and basically they can get away with, you know, making them do, because basically clowns, I really realized later are kind of like the, the janitors of the circus. They are, they're the, you have to like, there's a lot of physical labor involved aside from just clowning. Like you have to like help set up and break down and, you know, oh. and you're only paid 200 bucks a week where we're at that time. You live on a train car. That's like a compartment that's like six feet long by three feet wide. And then it's just, it's kind of miserable. Yeah, and 20-year-olds are way more pliable than 28-year-olds. Yes, exactly. And they'll basically they 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 there's a there's a lot of sort of I don't want to call it brainwashing, but I will cuz I just I don't want to take the time to think of a better word. Yeah. Uh but that they really make you think by the time you've gone through these 10 weeks that this is the only thing you were ever wanted to do. Wow. You know? This is like the dark underside of clown yeah. life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's just like for the audience to know, I had no idea Tom was in the circus. <laughs> right, Tom, right, right. When we were preparing for this interview, Tom was like, and you know, we'll talk about the circus stuff, but it's not my favorite a, topic. A little bit. It's really not. And I was like, what circus stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the important thing about, about the circus is kind of like that I went through it and I'm glad I did because I learned a lot of physical discipline doing that. Uh, but and also that it brought me to Chicago, which is the city of my birth, right? And that's kind of where I ended up after that. It was in close proximity to to uh, Baraboo, Wisconsin. I had literally, I think, forty one cents or something to my like when I went to Chicago. Showed up on the doorstep of a friend of mine, and it was like, "Can I live here for a while?" Because I got nowhere to go. <laughs> Quick question. Yeah. So clown school's ten weeks, and then you're sort of guaranteed a job. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. You're not. You have to, you have to get a job with them and if, and you have to take it legally. Like you sign a contract saying that if they offer you a job that you will take it. Um, but they don't enforce that. I learned. Um, mm -hmm. and you can, and this is Bill Irwin, a uh, very famous clown, went to clown college was, and I found out that he, and who I just met recently in a bar actually. Wild. Uh, yeah. And he, uh, he was offered a contract also and did not take it. And so two clown rebels. Yeah. Yeah. So you were offered a job and you didn't take it. I was I was, I was put on I was put on the wait list. Mm -hmm. And when they did offer me the job, uh, I, I took it for about 10 seconds and then was just like, no, I'm going to I'm going to stay in Chicago. Yeah. 
So you're in Chicago. You've turned down a clown job. You have 10, 10 weeks of clown training under your belt. Are yeah. you thinking you want to work? Is there, they have a monopoly on the circus? Okay, is there no, like a no, but you know, but you can do birthday circus? party clown. And here's a preposterous story. Okay. okay? I can't this wait. is, this is so preposterous. Like you, it's, it's almost not believable, but awesome. 100% true. So I'm in Chicago. I'm dating this woman, right? Who I met. I was working at a comedy club called The Improv uh, in, uh, on Well Street. And she was a comedian. And uh, I was like, you know, maybe I will start doing some birthday party clowning, you know, or whatever to make some, you know, make some money. And she was like, nope, nope, not doing that. I was like, oh, come on. I know people hate clowns. She's like, no, 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 you don't. She's like, honestly, if you do that, we are not dating anymore, period, 100%. Because of clown stigma? Well, here's the thing, and that I did not know at the time. I don't know if you know who John Wayne Gacy was. Oh, my God. Her brother was murdered by John Wayne Gacy. Oh, who you. was? I was like, not sure where that was going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah, cute. Yeah. That's really sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm sorry. But but sure, yeah. Her brother was one of Gacy's victims. Oh my god! And so Gacy, for those listening who might not know, Gacy was a, a serial killer in the Chicago suburbs who worked as a birthday party clown. And that's what he did. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so she obviously had some, some issues clown, with that. Some clown shit. Yeah. And I was actually, and Gacy was executed while I was dating her. Wow. And uh, I went to this whole like memorial service for the families of the victims. It was really, really crazy. Yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry. That's crazy. Yeah. A lot of, uh, this is a, this is like a sub, a sub thread of deaths surrounding major life events that very subtly shifted you know, and I was of thinking course. about that today, too, because I was thinking about like sort of like, you know, my 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 buddy dying in L.A. And I wasn't sp- thinking specifically of, of that, but I was also thinking about my dad dying, which was later, you know, which is in 2002. But both had profound effects on sort of how I proceeded in my life. Um and there's like a, I don't know if you remember the show Six Feet Under from I'm familiar on, with it. on HBO. I haven't watched much, but my yeah. mom's a super fan. Well, there's a great line in that where, you know, somebody asks Nate, who's like one of the, you know, guys from the funeral home, you know, they, she's really distraught. She says, why do people have to die? And he thinks about it for a second and he says, to make life important, you know, and I think that those in in a way my dad's death even chris's death in los angeles in some ways it sounds weird to say but there are there almost i almost see them as like gifts now you mm-hmm. know to that 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 put things in in perspective for me and sort of you know made me uh you know a, a little bit or or a lot more humble in chris's case certainly um but also that you know uh it kind of really emphasized the importance of living your life the way you want to live your life and to not let other people tell you how to do it. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful sentiment and not a weird one. And I think anyone who's who's left us here on earth would love to hear that their death had that effect on someone. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that at all? I'm sorry. To talk hear about, about what? Dad. My You're, dad? Yeah, and how that. Um, we can, I mean, you know, my dad, uh, he was, uh, you know, diagnosed with cancer in 2001 in October and he, he, he lived basically till February. 
I mean, oh, he I'm was sorry. That's and so he hard. was hoping to live till the, his 20th wedding anniversary, uh, which was going to be, I think that summer. And, um, but he didn't. And, and, you know, my dad and I had a strained relationship my whole life. And that four months gave me an opportunity to kind of make peace with him. Yeah. You know? And so again, I, I think of it, I think of that as at that time as, as a gift. And I think that, that it, it had a, a really positive effect on me, uh, ultimately. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I think the next thing you mentioned that we wanted to talk about was leaving Chicago. Yeah, so I, I mean, back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so Chicago, the improv, the comedy club where I was working, you know, closed down and I was sort of producing some, um, you know, alternative comedy stuff. And this is interesting. This is one of the ways I I met Rob is that there was a big write up in the New York Times about alternative comedy and both his venue and and my venue in Chicago were both mentioned in it. The timelines intersect. That's a junction. Yeah, totally. It was in the New York Times. It was in the New York Times. That's so cool. Yeah, and uh, and so I was, you know, um, I was really curious about this place, Surf Reality, which was Rob's place, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a guy who came back uh, from a trip to New York. He was a comic who I didn't actually really think was very funny and i did you know what i mean but but i was like oh you know he told me he had gone to surf reality and i was like oh tell me about that because it was just written out you know and he was like don't go there and i was like why and he goes because it's in a really bad neighborhood you have to get buzzed up the stairs and like you walk in and like everybody's smoking pot and i was like dude i'm going there first like, <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> like, like my kind of yeah and i did and so i i was and i came back to new york just to visit i was like i went to surf reality and i was like oh this place is really fucking cool yeah uh, and I actually didn't meet Rob on that, on that visit. And I actually didn't really even really meet him until I had been back in New York for a, a little bit. I moved back in 1997. Again, it's another woman, like women sort of figure as kind of like there, there are these figures that, you know, sort of guide some of my, de- guided some of my decisions along the way. That's probably like. I don't know. That seems like it's going to be everyone's stories. Everyone just chasing around like yeah, in, a, in some in, in, in some ways. Yeah. I mean, but but also I don't think I would have come back to New York to be with her if I didn't really want to be back in New York. Right. I mean, I love Chicago, but it's like and I was doing a lot of interesting things there. But there's I feel like there's just only so much you can do in Chicago. Like you could be, you know, be a director and you could, you know, be have shows in the best theaters in Chicago and become really famous in Chicago. Yeah, you know? but it's always and, second place. And then you're just in Chicago. Then you know what I mean? And that's Chicago. cool. And you're like making a living, but you're in Chicago. You know, <laughs> I, I like wanted to be in New York City because yeah. I missed that. I missed the stimulation. I missed the kind of all nightness of it and the you know, sort of the the fact that you could be anonymous anytime you wanted or you could be a part of a community anytime you wanted. You know, I mean totally. it, it has everything. So, uh, so that was a big, yeah, that was, that was formative. I mean, coming back and, and, and starting, you know, producing here again. That feeling too of, should I stay here in Chicago or should I go back to New York? Like if you succeed in Chicago, you're still in Chicago. I I think the decision to move back to New York is always tinged with this feeling of wanting to be for like wanting to win. If you win, if you Yes. Move to New York and you succeed, you're really winning. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, and um, 
Although, you know, I mean, I, 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 and, you know, I was like, I was really good friends with the UCB people mm-hmm. in Chicago and I used to book them all the time at the improv and, and it was like, they moved back to New York right before I moved back to New York. And it was like, they came back here and I saw them sort of just instantly doing things that they couldn't do in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like they, they started this theater and then they got this TV show on comedy central. And I was like, that, you know, they, they could have, you know, maybe eventually gotten, you know, done SNL or whatever from out of Chicago, but like they were really forging their own path too. Right. You know? Um, and I really respected that. And I think that that was kind of inspiring to me. That's cool. So I want, I want to a lot enough time to talking about starting RFB. Yeah. There's something we need to touch on in between. Okay. Now and then yeah. we can, but let's get to that. All right. Oh, you're asking me if there's something? Yeah. Is oh, I thought something? I thought you had something in mind that we had to touch on. Well, you get you we mapped out one sort of other thing about grad school really, but Yeah, I mean that's really kind of like well, like I said, that's sort of like a whole process that kind of like led up to it's kind of a part of the process that I'm in now, you know. I mean, I I was in when I moved back to New York, I was in, you know, I had a career in digital media for you know, 15 years and I made a lot of money. So you kind of decided to go corporate at some point. I did. Well, did yeah. you fall into it or was it a, an active decision? It was kind of an active decision. So I, you know, the girl that I moved back to live with here, I mean, she was very much about kind of like getting me into like a re- getting me a credit card and getting me like a real job and uh. you know sort of <laughs> um and she she would she would complain they shouldn't complain but like you know she i remember she said to me at one point your your problem isn't that you don't have enough interest your problem is you have too many you hmm. know and you can't you know she's like you need to focus on something like you, yeah yeah you need to like you need to zero in on something so i had been doing um, digital media in Chicago. My first digital media job was, was creating, literally creating websites for ex-porn stars. Word. Uh, yeah. And so I came out here and I started working in the digital media industry and it's like, it's very seductive. You know what I mean? You, Wait, sorry. Ex-porn stars? Ex-porn stars. So like Seika, Marilyn Chambers, Gloria Leonard. So like once like, they've moved on from being a porn Exactly. Star, so they're doing other, they're doing other things okay. now. Right. And so the reason I got this was Seika was a friend of mine. She had a radio show, um, in Chicago called Let's Talk About Sex on, on the Loop FM. Gotcha. So you got into the social circle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, it, you're basically working in digital media. This is your first legitimate job that someone's paying you a lot of money to do that's not of your own creative volition. Right. And that lasts for 15 years. For 15 years, yeah. I mean... Kind and, of up until RFB? Uh, well, yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, up until... I I left. I was at. I mean, I was at Oxygen for like eleven years, and I was at VH1, and then I left to go work for this nonprofit, which was god awful. And I'm not going to mention who they are, but um, I eventually left that like right after I got my degree, my master's degree, and and literally the day I got my master's degree, I got a call offering me to teach at Hofstra. So I went. I left that and went to teach. And, you know, I was making a lot less money, but it was so much happier. Yeah. What were you teaching? I I was teaching, uh, I was teaching the media studies department. The first class I taught was a media theory class. Uh, and then I taught like, you know, media history class, media and pop culture. Um, I I taught a lot there in the couple years that I was there. And, uh, 
Uh, and then it was sort of like right after that, literally the, the, the day that my, that was my last day teaching at Hofstra was the day we launched Radio Free Brooklyn. May, wow. May 13th, 2015. Seamless. It was seamless. So you kind of had to decide to quit teaching because you were undertaking this new thing. That, that was, that was the rationale at the time. We yeah. have five minutes yeah. left, but I didn't get to talk about this with Rob. Was it, how did you guys decide to do this? Well, I mean, so Rob and I, we both, uh, you know, while I had this digital media career, I was also producing a lot of stuff downtown. And I had for a brief time a performance space uh, in the East Village on 14th and B. And Rob and I had produced a lot of stuff at Rob's Theater by this point, right? So I had a flagship show there called Grindhouse at Go-Go. Rob and I had become friends. And... Uh, after all of these years, you know, that, that clo- his theater closed in 2003. And so here we are 10 years later and we're kind of sitting around in his apartment going, how do we, how do we, you know, how do we do that again without having to pay all out the ass through real, for real estate? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we provide a creative platform for people? Um, and we came up with the idea. I think it was actually his suggestion initially He's like, what would it take to start a radio station? And I was like, oh, actually, I have a whole plan for that. That was my thesis project. Um, So, yeah, so we can use that as a as a blueprint. And um, and then we just we just did it. You know, we just uh, we found a space. We both knew the person who owned the bike shop that we started, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the basement of Uh, got a space, built it. I taught myself again by the seat of my pants how to how to put it together i had no idea but i learned um and and we built it and uh and and here we are well i'm gonna get cheesy for a minute and say like you've really changed some people's lives i think i think that providing a platform for others is one of the best things you can do in this world i don't know yeah i i mean I, i i think so and and it's and if it didn't if it wasn't for the honestly the joy i feel that this brings people i wouldn't do it because it's it's kind of thankless you know yeah i hope it it doesn't always feel thankless because i'm really grateful for i know everyone in this community knows how hard you work and is really grateful for you so i hope thank you hope that that seeps through somehow even though it mostly probably does feel thankless you've especially this week yeah this this week this week's been hard working his ass off (laughs) just like building this beautiful new studio that we're broadcasting from right now. Uh, Well, thank you. This story was this story, your life. Uh, This was a great second episode. This is kind of exactly how I always want the show to go. Oh, good. I want great. I want, uh, I feel like, I feel like each one of those things was just sort of like the top of something that you could easily dive down into. And yeah, there's so much more there, but I feel like we're we're, dealing with someone's whole life. Like, no, right, right. Exactly. How do you do that in an hour? Yeah, you can't. Right. 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 Well, you did a good job at it. Um, yeah. And just the lesson, I, I I don't know. I'm being pedantic by repeating it, but the idea that if you make your decisions as if nothing's stopping you from getting what you want, yeah, you're way more likely to get it. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, and that's why, and that's one of the things that I try to bring to Radio Free Brooklyn too, is the, you know, this idea that, you know, lifting the veil of, of mystery from, from media, you know what I mean? Lifting that, pulling that curtain aside and going, look, you can do this, you know, 
They're, yeah. They're, they're, it's not, it's not oh that Oh my God, that I felt that way so hardcore when I joined this community. I was like, yeah. wait, I could do this. Okay, we should probably right. get to some ending credits. Oh, okay. Uh, right? I don't know. How I don't know. I end? didn't know you did ending credits. Yeah, but, okay. I want to give, I want to do my, my little credits. So thank okay. you to you, Tom, You're not welcome. only for being here and also for making this room that we, that we're broadcasting from and for lifting the veil from me to think that I could do this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to RP Donate. It's a nonprofit and community funded entity. Uh, go to the website to learn how to donate. My theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp. And if you're interested in the show or you have a twisty, curvy life story that you want to share with me, email me at asha at radiofreebrooklyn.com. Org. Com. Uh, org. Org. Yeah. Or find a show on Facebook. Thanks, guys. Bye.